Good morning. How are we doing, church family? Excellent. Good morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome all of you. Most, uh, most of all, just welcome. Glad to see you. So fun, as um, a couple of people already before me this morning have said. Great fun to see so many of you. Midsummer in Oregon, good weather and everything, and still so many of you in person. Uh, glory, hallelujah, reopening, welcome, lifted restrictions, amen, hallelujah, glad to see you. Uh, and welcome all of you that are joining us online as well, glad that you can join us um, via the worldwide webs, and uh, when you're able to, we look forward to having you back here in person as well, so welcome to all of you. As we get started here, we'll get into God's word in just a moment as usual, um, as we get started, I want to get us thinking in this direction. How are our lives directed? How are our lives directed? Be thinking about that. What, what or who influence you? What or who do you look to for guidance? Now, we're sitting here at Faith Church on a Sunday morning in the middle of a worship gathering. I know you know the church answer. Who do you look to for, for guidance? Who is the influence in your life. I know we know the church answer, but if we took stock of our time, if you broke down your typical week or your typical day, and you looked at what you do and the people you interact with and who you listen to and the information that comes at you and the information that you apply most to how you live your life, we want to we check ourselves a little bit there. We want to take stock. We want to See what our time use indicates, what our, who we listen to indicates, who's, who's influential in our life. And uh, I can't help but think in the age we live in, where the internet is, is all of our information, we go to the internet for so much, and then there's so much uh, information being passed along and spread via social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the like, and, and there's... Such a thing I never really heard of even before these years. Are, you know, we're hearing that word more and more, influencers. These people who have built themselves an online following, a number of followers, a, a number of people that like their page, and now they, they have dubbed themselves or other people have dubbed them influencers because there's so many people are watching, because so many people are listening to what they're doing. Um, who knows what their credentials may or may not be? Who knows what their experience may or may not be? But the information is so widely available, they have become influencers. And so I just want us to think about this. And not that all of these people are bad. Not that all of the places we could get information from are, are false or bad. But are we evaluating? Who are the influencers in our lives? Where, where, how do we direct our lives? Who do we look to? I mean, there could be all kinds of people, authors and podcasters and news anchors and uh, other celebrities. It could even, you know, even friends and, and family members. And, and, and like I said, it's not all negative. There are, there are people we look to. There are people who we gain insight from and wisdom from. But we want to be aware. Who do we follow? And, and as we're evaluating who we follow, maybe we should consider who they follow. Open your Bible, if you will, to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Love seeing so many Bibles on laps so we can keep our finger in the text of God's Word. Uh, open your Bible and turn to Ephesians 5 or pull out your device and open your Bible app to Ephesians chapter 5. And um, we'll continue together as we go passage by passage through the book of Ephesians together. We're in a series of messages that we called Walk Worthy. Because in the beginning of this letter, Ephesians is a letter from a church leader named Paul to a group of Christians in a town called Ephesus. And when he wrote this, he was celebrating the spectacular good news of all that God has done for us. And then saying, in the, now in this second part of the letter that we're in now, he was encouraging us to walk worthy. To live a life that is worthy of that good news of what God has called us to. So... Hopefully you found Ephesians chapter 5, and in a moment here I'm going to start um, at the end of verse 8. Last, uh, actually two weeks, we took a break from Ephesians last Sunday, 
um, for a unique topic on 4th of July. Two weeks ago, we were, we were at the beginning of chapter 5, and now we're continuing uh, in the middle or kind of the end of verse 8. So first we get this encouragement kind of positively. What do we want to do? What does a worthy walk look like? Who do we want to follow? End of verse 8. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So first we get the you know, who to follow, who look to look to. Jesus came as the light of the world, and we are to walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to Jesus. And then verse 11 gives us kind of the flip side, the negative, the, the, the don't do this, the don't listen to these people, the don't fall in line. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Over and over around here at Faith Church, we say that the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That because of Jesus, we can be connected back with God. The gospel is the good news that God doesn't leave us stuck in our sin, but that he made a way for us to be made right with God, to be rescued, to be saved. And sometimes we stop there with that phrase that's on the screen about the gospel. But really, I, I probably should extend that. The gospel is the good news that Jesus saves and transforms us into new people. That not only does he rescue us out of darkness and into the light, out of our sin and into forgiveness of sin, but then the gospel good news means that he transforms us from the inside out, making us into a new person, making us more and more like Jesus. The gospel changes everything. If our life isn't changed, then we're not experiencing the gospel good news, the transforming work of Jesus in our life, ongoing. So in light of this good news, the, the, letter of the, the, the book of Ephesians, this letter from Paul, is saying, this is amazing news, that God rescues us from sin and death. And now the last part of this letter, Paul is saying, in light of that good news, how do we live? What effect does that have on our life? And, 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 this, and here's where we get back to this idea of influences. Today, I'm, as we look at God's word, I'm encouraging us to consider if God is transforming me from the inside out and he wants me to live a life that is worthy, what does that mean in terms of the influences that I accept into my life? Who do I look to? Who am I influenced by? And the language there in verse 11, is take no part. Let that language sink in a little bit. And, and give, but let your imagination go with that phrase. Take no part. You know, what about, what about steer clear? What about don't play that game of like, how close can I get to sinning without sinning? You know that game? I don't think anybody ever set out to play that game. Maybe, but maybe not. But we accidentally play that game, don't we? How close can I go? And, and, and here it says, take no part. We might get away, church family, you know this from experience for, perhaps. You might get away with playing the how close to sin can I get game for a while, but it doesn't end well. You're going to get burned. So on the flip side... Verse 10 says, discern what is pleasing. If we want to live a life that is worthy, we want to steer clear of the darkness of those who mess with sin and go away from God. And we want to instead discern what is pleasing. And, and one thing I want to suggest this morning is that to help us discern, to help us recognize what our influences should be and, and recognize what God wants to do in our lives, one thing, one practical thing we can do in a church family is share our life with other followers of Jesus and specifically share our life and interact with other followers of Jesus who are further along in following Jesus than us. People have been walking with Jesus longer, more mature spiritually. We want to go beyond Sundays. I, I, I couldn't encourage you more. If your connection 
with Faith Church is predominantly Sunday morning here in person or those of you that join us online, let me excitedly urge you to take your connection with the local church and, and go further than Sundays. Be here and gather as a large group and lift our voices in song and hear the word of God taught. But go further than Sundays. Um, make the church smaller, so to speak. Find ways to connect with people in our church family in smaller groups by serving, jumping in and helping out in children's ministry and ushering and student ministry and so many ways that we serve each other and help behind the scenes and then you're connected with other people. Uh, join a life group. Life groups are a way that you can know other people in our church family and be known by them. Make the church smaller. I can't know all of you deeply. None of our staff or elders can know you all deeply. None of you can know all the others in our church family deeply. Can you? And so we make the church smaller, and we connect ourselves with a few brothers and sisters that we can live life with. Uh, life groups are a place where, um, where that can happen, and we want to help you get connected. The staff is working right now with several people that are new to our church and kind of thinking, helping them get connected with others and looking forward to what, uh, what we might be able to do in starting a new life group or helping people connect to an existing life group. So if that's your situation, let us know how we can help you. Call the church office, email one of the staff, talk to one of us on a Sunday, and, and we'd be happy to help you with that. But don't go it alone. Benefit from others. Be a family. Go beyond Sundays. Um, because I think this says, this says discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do we know what is pleasing to the Lord? How do we know what God wants? And one of the ways is we, we, we study the Bible together. One of the ways is we encourage one another. But I think we get the idea sometimes that God's going to cramp our style. That if I know what he wants from me, what is dis if I discern what is pleasing to the Lord, that it's going to be a bunch of rules and it's going to cramp my style and it's going to be no fun. But I will tell you, and followers of Jesus around you, I think, will tell you that there is joy and satisfaction found in living in obedience to God's best for you. You hear that? So we keep going. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. We want to be careful not to normalize sin, not to interact with each other in a way that excuses sin or dignifies sin or somehow elevates living in darkness and going away from God. Don't even speak about the things they do in secret. We, we want to acknowledge sin for what it is. We want to repent of sin. We want to confess our sin. But I'm talking about when you connect with other people, when you're with other people and you chat, what do we talk about? Godless gossip of the world and, and the patterns of the world and the ways of the world and, and my sinful flesh tendencies or as the screen, as we'll have on the screen, Philippians 4.8, or do our conversations look more like this? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worth praise, worthy of praise, think about, or I'd say talk about with each other, these things. Verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And then Paul quotes from Isaiah. And it says, Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We said this already. Jesus has come as light of the world. He is risen from the dead. So we too are, are to arise, to wake up, and live for him. Live by his word. Live but looking to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 15, and this passage is going to continue to help us. What is a, what do we, as we want to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, as we want to live a life that is worthy, what does that look like? Verse 15, look carefully then as to how you walk or how you live. 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. What does it mean there, make the best use of the time? It's, it's taking every opportunity in life, using your time well. Utilize the chances that you're given. Every situation, every, every interaction, every, every, every circumstance that life puts you in, look for opportunities. Use your time well to serve the Lord, to obey the Lord, to, to grow in the Lord, because the days are evil, it says. Richard Koken, an author and pastor, wrote this. We are to see every day as an opportunity to proclaim Christ in order to gather people under Christ before he returns in terrifying judgment. There's urgency. There's, there's urgency. We want to be wise. We want to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. And so we have an opportunity. We can make the best use of our time to proclaim Jesus, to let people know of God's love for them no matter what, to be proclaimers that, that Jesus has rescued us from sin and death and made us right with God. 17, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Anybody interested in what the will of the Lord is? Is that a question you might find yourself asking yourself once in a while? Sometimes I think we worry too much about it. Sometimes I think we're trying to figure it out to every little detail too much. But do we want to discern what is pleasing to the Lord? Are we interested in what the will of God is? He's given a, you know, a tremendous gift that you hold in your lap that he's given us to look to, his words on the page. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord, uh, what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Well, part of it is what we're about to read. Part of his will is for us to be careful about what influences us. And if we're careful about what influences us, one very practical caution about the will of the Lord follows in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery. Debauchery means excessive indulgence in something. Excessive, over the top, using something to, to, the, to the point of negativity, to the point of harm. Excessive indulgence in something. The Bible's clear here, verse 18, that part of the Lord's will, part of the Lord's will, if we want to be careful about what is influencing us, verse 18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, I always encourage us to, to do something called, we want to learn from, from the, whole, the total scripture. We want to, we want to hear from, from all of God's word, what he has to say about a topic. And so before you jump to conclusions, what I would say is, the Bible doesn't seem to condemn all drinking of alcohol. We have Jesus himself making a wedding a lot more fun and enjoyable for the people by turning water into wine. And in Psalm 104, uh, in Psalm 104, God's, uh, Psalm 104 indicates that God's provision includes wine to, quote, gladden the heart of man. That's a Bible verse. So we look to the totality of Scripture, and I don't think the Bible condemns all drinking of alcohol, but... It's very clear about drunkenness. When you look in the New Testament, there's, there's multiple sin lists. Times when the author seems to lists all these sins as an example to people of, of what an indicator of living in the darkness is, of what living in rebellion to God looks like. And, and the New Testament sin lists make it very clear that drunkenness is a sin. Church family, we can enjoy God's gifts but don't get drunk. We're considering influences. What influences our life? What are, what are we putting ourselves under? What is guiding us? And verse 18 says, do not get drunk with wine. And then it continues. But be filled with the Spirit. Now here's where I want to spend a few minutes because this is... is 
interesting stuff that I love to talk a little bit about, and I love for us to consider, and I love for us to see how this looks in our life. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, some of you, perhaps followers of Jesus, might want to ask the question at this point, wait, don't I already have the Holy Spirit? Yes. Don't, don't all believers in Jesus have the Holy Spirit living within? Yes. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have submitted your life to Christ, if you have recognized you can't save yourself and you have called on Jesus to rescue you, you are a Christian, you are in Christ, having submitted yourself to Christ, and having become a Christian, having crossed from death to life, having been saved from sin and death, you have received God himself, the Holy Spirit, living within you, period. So something different is going on in this verse. If you're a follower of Jesus, when you become a Christian, you have the Spirit living within you for good. But this letter is written to Christians. Paul's writing this letter to Christians. And, and he's saying, be filled with the Spirit. Well, wait a second, Paul. You're writing to Christians. You know that Christians have the Spirit. Okay, then that's not what Paul's talking Paul's talking about something else here. Paul writes a command. God, through Paul, writes a command here to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to live a life that is dependent on the Spirit, to where we are leaning into the Spirit, to where we are... We are aware of the Spirit's working in our lives so that we are filled, so, that it can, so the Spirit can overflow out of our lives, so to speak. Now, when we, what's the comparison? Right there in verse 18, there's this comparison about drunkenness. Do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so it is there in comparison and contrast, and we could probably say, don't get drunk on wine, but in a very positive sense, we could say, get drunk on the Spirit, but the better way to put that would be, don't get drunk on wine. Don't be inf under the influence of wine. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So far, so good? Now, let me just encourage us to stop there with that drunk comparison. Because we want to be not under the influence of alcohol. We do want to be un under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But really, if we try to push that analogy further, it doesn't work well. Because in the Spirit... Filled with the Spirit, we're not out of control. We haven't lost ourselves and some of the comparisons that we might make to alcohol. If we're going to be under the influence, we should be, want to be guided by the Spirit and not alcohol. Now, a couple of interesting observations for us about be filled. This command, God commanding through Paul, Paul's writing here in Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command... Not a suggestion. So we're not free to ignore it. We're not free to be okay where we're at as a Christian. We're not, we're not free to call upon Jesus, be saved, step into the quote-unquote Christian club, and, and be done. God, the gospel good news is that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, what did we say earlier... And that he's transforming me from the inside out, making me into a new person, making me more and more like Jesus. So this is a command to be filled with the Spirit. We're not free to ignore it. And it's a plural command, as so much of the New Testament scriptures are, when we hear a command, it's a plural command to you, church family, to the church universal, all followers of Jesus everywhere, we so much as, so, so often as Americans, when we read a command, we apply it to, to me, to us, to individuals. This is a plural command to be filled, church family, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, none of you is to be drunk, and all of you are to be filled with the Spirit. It's a, it's a plural command, and that's, a, it's important, that's an important note as we consider what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. I think it's an important note. This is a plural command. None of you are to be drunk. All of you are to be filled with the Spirit, meaning is this filling of the Spirit some special thing just for 
really, really strong believers? No. This is not for the, the filling of the Holy Spirit isn't just for the elite or the best of the best or just for Christian leaders. The plural command here is to all Christians everywhere be filled with the Spirit. So, what does a Spirit filled life look like? That's what we should want to know. I want to walk worthy. God has rescued me from sin and death. The first three chapters of Ephesians is a celebration of what God has done for us through Jesus. And now the second part of Ephesians, Paul is saying, live a life that is worthy. Church family, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're saying, I want to live a life that is worthy, I, I want to I be filled with the Spirit, I, wanna, my life, I want my life to depend on the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit, then are we curious what that looks like? And how, what, it likes, what it looks like to be a spirit-filled believer? Are we curious about that? I got a lot of people that are curious about what we're having for lunch. I want to see if I got a few more people curious about what it looks to be a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. Okay? Verse 19. Someone that is filled with the spirit. We're going to get three things to consider here. Verse 19. Someone filled with the Holy Spirit will address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Number two, someone filled with the Holy Spirit will be giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And three, someone filled with the Holy Spirit will be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So first, considering verse 19. Uh, as we consider verse 19, uh, a pastor and an author named Kent Hughes uh, joked this, that addressing one another in psalms or in songs doesn't mean, hello, good morning, <laughs> hello, Michael, it's good to see you. You guys like, should cringe right now. <laughs> I wanted to do that thing that the author said about this joke, about that addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs means... Hello, how are you today, Warren? It is good to see you. Thanks for being here at Faith Church. That's not what it is. <laughs> Amen, hallelujah, thank you. When you come into the lobby on, on Sunday mornings, that is not what's expected, okay? Now, I have family here today, and many of you uh, also, as I look around, that, that if you did that, we would all be pleasantly enjoying it. And then there's me. Okay, so... That's not what it is, but being, addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and, and, and having music from the heart, what is that? Well, well, as a follower of Jesus, saved by the glorious good news of what God has done for us in Christ, there, there, is, there is music of the heart that, that as God works in you, as you recognize the gospel good news of being saved from sin and death, and as you realize that the gospel good news continues into transformation, to making you more like Jesus, the, inside there should be some music of the heart, of thankfulness, of seeing God work in you, of seeing how life would be completely different apart from him. And then that, that joyful heart music does need to overflow. That, that joyful heart music needs to become verbal music. Even if you sound like me. That, that joyful heart music needs to overflow, church family. This is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. And one of the ways that you'll, be, that you'll, you'll show you are filled with the Spirit is that you'll be addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and, and spiritual songs, making music. Spirit-filled people overflow in song. Some of you, I'm all in. I'm all in. I've been all in for years. Some of you are going, oh dear. Seriously? I'm supposed to overflow in song? Um, we talked about on Wednesday, we, we had a, few, a, a, a number of you gathered uh, together on Wednesday morning for a hymn sing, and it was a, it was a special time. There were tears in eyes. And we had an opportunity to put into words and sing out our praises to our great God. 
And, and we did that together on Wednesday morning in the hymns thing, and we do that on Sunday mornings together. We did that just a few minutes ago. We're going to do that again this morning. And so one thing we talked about on Wednesday was this. This passage, or that verse 19, talks about um, addressing one another. When we think about singing, when we think about the heart music that God has made in your life and it overflowing into song, there's, a, there's both a horizontal and a vertical aspect of our singing. As we sing out, as you let it overflow from heart music to actually spoken verbal music, it's a horizontal encouragement to your brothers and sisters, your, followers, your, your friends around you that are followers of Jesus. We address one another in those songs. When, we, when Pastor Matt and the worship team lead us in song, it's, it's, yes, it's to God. There's a vertical component, right? A vertical component of our songs being praised to God. But there's also addressing one another with songs. Because when we hear one another speak truths about God and sing praises, we're encouraging one another too. So there's a horizontal and a vertical Be filled with the Spirit, church family, addressing one another in song. Singing is not optional. If If you're the kind, and you might be, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, if you're the kind that during our songs has hands in pockets, flapping elbows, and lips not moving, I want to encourage you to try it. I'm not asking you to be an amazing singer, you heard that I'm not, but when we lift our voices in, 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 in gathered worship, I sing out because I'm adding my voice to yours because it's ver- horizontally encouraging to each other and because it's vertically giving praise to God. And so I, I want to invite you to try it, to open your mouth at all, if that's a start, or, or to sing it out a bit, if that's what's needed. I really, I really, I don't think you'll be sorry. You're putting yourself in a place where we can be filled with the Spirit. We said we want to live a life that is worthy. We said we wanted to walk worthy. We said we want to learn what a Spirit-filled life looks like. That's one opportunity we have. Verse 20. The second thing, so first thing is uh, of a Spirit-filled life is singing. The second one is giving thanks always and for everything. This is another verse that we got to be careful not to take too far. If we read into that very literally, very word for word, give thanks always and for everything, we need to be careful not to take that too far. True, what is true about that? What do we see across the scriptures? It is true that we have an opportunity to give thanks to God even in our difficult circumstances. Is that right? Even in the, in the ups and the downs of life, God calls us, we have an opportunity in, to be thankful. It's true that we want to be thankful to God in the midst of our pain and our trial, and, 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 and we want to we be thankful to God knowing that he can take what is evil and make it into good. But John Stott says this, that that, those things that we just talked about, are praising God for being God. It is not praising God for evil. So here's the distinction. Here's where we just want to not take it too far. The verse says, give thanks always and for everything. And and we go, really? Do I have to give thanks for everything? No, what it means is give thanks for everything that, that goes with God's goodness and his character and what he's about. It doesn't extend to giving thanks to things that are evil because I cut this quote off. John Stott says, it's not praising him for evil. God loathes evil, and we cannot praise or thank him for what God detests. So we thank God in the midst of difficulties for everything that is consistent with who he is and what he does. In verse 21, so the first one of a spirit-filled life, Singing, second one, giving thanks always. And verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So if we're going to consider a worthy walk, if we're going to consider what a wor- that a worthy walk includes submission, who is the ultimate example of submission? Give me the church answer. Jesus. Good job. That was also to, you know, you know 
get us going. The ultimate example of submission is Jesus. He, we, could go, we could go many places in Scripture. On the night before he was crucified, he took the, post, the humble posture of a servant and served his followers. He washed their feet, this humble act of service. And, and the next day would be the ultimate example of submission. Jesus, having way better things to do in mind, having way thing, things way more than going to the cross that he would have enjoyed, Jesus being honest in prayer to God, take this cup from me, I don't know about this plan. Jesus submitted himself to the Father, knowing that the Father had best in mind. So Jesus is the ultimate example to us of submission. Philippians 2 says that we are to count others more significant than ourselves. So as a follower of Jesus, we follow Jesus. If Jesus' life included submission where God calls us to submit, then follower of Jesus, there are times and places and situations where God will call you to submit. And submit goes against our American ideals. Submit goes against our me first. Submit goes against I need to be in charge of myself. And but Jesus is our ultimate example. Our, our recent current events in our culture reminded us that there are times when we submit to the government, that all authority is from God. And so we've learned in, in, in the past months, year, year or so, that there are times when God calls us to submit to the governing authorities. And as we continue our study in Ephesians, in the next few verses, the next few passages, we're going to get more of this. It's going to, the next few passage, verses is going to take verse 21 and apply it in different situations. As we continue to study Ephesians in the next few weeks, we're going to see that, a spirit, that spirit-filled submission, um, what it looks like as a follower of Jesus to submit in different areas of life, marriage, workplace, um, family life. And we're going to study each of these as we continue to look at God's word. Kent Hughes wrote this. uh, Sometimes we meet Christians who claim to be spirit-filled, but are brash, assertive, and self-promoting. Let me read that one more time. This is Kent Hughes just giving this example. Sometimes we meet Christians who claim to be spirit-filled, but they're brash, assertive, and self-promoting. And, that, and he says, that brings attention to the fact that something is wrong because neither Jesus nor the Holy Spirit is like that. If followers of Jesus are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, if followers of Jesus are being increasingly filled by the Spirit, then a Spirit-filled believer uh, would never be those things. So, Verses 19, 20, and 21 have given us a quick recap of indicators of a spirit-filled life. What are the three things? Number one was singing. Number two was giving thanks. And number three was submitting. So we want to give ourselves a chance then to live out God's ways. We want to give ourselves a chance for God to work in our lives by by being filled with the Spirit and by experiencing these Uh, areas in our life. So if that's our desire to be spirit-filled, to to follow Jesus, and to live a life that is filled with the Spirit, if we want to walk in step with the Spirit, then we can use those three examples that we just went over to kind of evaluate our life. Are we filled with the Spirit? Well, is there music in our souls? Is Is there music to the Lord? That, that bubbles up out of us and overflows out of our mouth? Is there thankfulness and praise? If I'm a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, is there thankfulness and praise in all circumstances that overflows from my life? And is there submission in my life? Am I, am I willing and able to submit to those that God calls me to submit to? Be filled is a present tense command. 
In, in, in language here in this, in this verse, be filled. Church family, be filled with the Spirit. It's a present tense command. In other words, it's not just, hey, when you became a follower of Jesus, get the Spirit. That was past tense. That happened. If you're a follower of Jesus, God the Spirit lives within you and will always. Done. This passage, be filled, we're talking about something else. This is a present tense command. So it's not uh, one time and that's it. This present tense command is saying, be filled, be ongoingly filled, continue to be filled, not once, but ongoing. It's this living by the Spirit. It's not something that just is once and done in the Christian life. It's, it's putting ourselves in position, asking God that he would help us to be filled with the Spirit so we could live by the Spirit. And, and here's, a, here's an important one. Being filled is a passive command. Be filled, church family, is a passive command, meaning you could translate it a little bit like this. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Is it, hey, take charge and go get the Spirit? That isn't the command. It's a, it's a, it's a passive command. Be filled. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. So, so as much as we would like it, when, when we say, yeah, I want to be a Spirit-filled Christian, as much as you would like it, I got no checklist for you. I got no formula. I got no one, two, three easy steps to being a spirit-filled Christian. I got no just do this and I'm sure you'll be filled. It's not that. It's a passive command. It's let the spirit fill you. But I do think while there's not a checklist, while I can't control it, I do think there are, there are ways that we can put ourselves in position as a follower of Jesus, ways that we can go about our life, ways that we can go about learning about Jesus that, that prepare us, that put us in a place where the Spirit can fill us, that things that we can consider in our lives that open us and help us yield to what the Spirit wants to do in our life. First and foremost on that list is repent. Repent is a word that means we turn away from known sin. If you're a follower of Jesus and the Spirit lives within you, the Spirit will occasionally bring to your attention and convict you of places you are rebelling against God, where you have sin in your life. If there is known sin, let me urge you and invite you and, and, and uh, tell you to, to repent to turn from that known sin, to turn away from it, to recognize it, to confess it to God. And I don't want to do that anymore. And part of repentance is to turn away from the known sin and turn to God. We repent by turning away from the sin and, and opening ourselves to what God wants to do in our life, to yielding ourselves to the Spirit's work, to being transformed from the inside out. I think one thing that we can do if we want to become spirit-filled followers of Jesus is repent and open ourselves to what God wants to do. Um, what else? Here's where we got just a few more minutes, and here's where I want to finish. And this is something that really made a huge difference for me in my learning. And when, when a mentor of mine painted this picture for me, I have found it so useful, so I want to pass it along. If we ask the question, okay, what else can we do? What else can we do to, to, to put ourselves in a position to be spirit-filled? How can we cooperate with what God's doing? How can I surrender myself to God? How can I yield myself to the filling of the Holy Spirit? I had a mentor in seminary who used this um, phrase, this picture. He said, put yourself in hallways where the Holy Spirit is active. Some of you have heard this from me before, but put, the, put yourself in hallways where the Holy Spirit is active. And, and I love that picture, and it stuck with me, and it helps me to see how I can prepare myself, how I can open myself to being filled by the Spirit. So imagine um, for a second, what, you know, if you think of an active hallway, what, 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 what comes to your mind? What examples, what places come to your mind of a hallway that is bustling? School. School. What else? 
workplace, airport. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, office building. I guess I think of the streets of New York City, too, but I guess that's not inside. It's not a hallway. But, you know, think of those, those videos of, of people walking down the sidewalk in New York City. Think of your middle, if you had a large middle school with a large student population or high school. Think of those hallways stepping out of the classroom into the hallway in passing period. <laughs> you know, almost like you get stand out there and you get sucked into the traffic or you might be taken by the crowd to some class you don't even go to. So just, you know, have that picture of, of an active hallway, of, of a hallway bustling and moving and, and headed in a direction. And that's the picture I get of we want to, if we consider this, what are the influences in my life? Who's guiding me? Who's taking me places? Who do I want in charge of my life? If I step out of the door of the classroom into an active hallway in the high school during passing period, where am I going to end up? So I have that picture in our mind. And, and what have we talked about today? Instead of stepping into a hallway that is alcohol, instead of stepping into a high hallway that is bustling with peer pressure, instead of stepping into a hallway that is the talking heads on, this, on the cable news networks and getting sucked in those directions or getting influenced in that direction, instead of the social media influencers, instead of scrolling your phone and these so-called influencers having so much pull on our life and what we think and what we think we need and where we think we should go, Instead, we want to put ourselves in hallways where the Holy Spirit is active. If I'm going to step into a bustling hallway and get carried away somewhere, I don't want it to be with those things. Is this making sense? If, if, we, if we're a follower of Jesus who wants to be a Spirit-filled believer, then we want to step into hallways where the Holy Spirit is active and moving, and busy, and he does stuff, and we get ourselves in there, and now we have an opportunity to be filled with the Spirit. Yes, and, and live life that God has for us. And, and so, we, you know, what we've already talked about singing, putting yourself in a hallway where the Spirit is active. When we gather together and lift our voices, the Spirit of God is active. And so we're putting ourselves in a bustling hallway. When I give thanks to God and praise him despite the gnarly circumstances of my life, when you give praise despite the pain and trial and hardship that earthly life includes, you're putting yourself in a hallway where the spirit is active. And when you submit to those who God calls you to submit to, and then I got three, quick, three more quick examples while we're there because I want you to have these ideas of active hallways where the Spirit is active. We know the Holy Spirit is active when it comes to God's Word. On the, on the screen is 2 Peter 1 that tells us that the, the way the Bible was written is that God carried along the human authors of the Bible by the Holy Spirit. And so the words of God's Word that you hold in your lap, when we read God's Word, God's Word is a place where the Spirit is active. And so when I put myself in God's Word, I'm stepping into a hallway where the Spirit is active and giving myself a chance to be filled by the Spirit. We already said this about giving thanks, giving praise, but I would say the same thing about prayer in general. On the screen is Romans 8:26, For we do not know what to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. We know from God's Word that when we pray, the Holy Spirit is helping us pray. And so when we're in prayer, we're in a hallway where the Spirit is what? Active. And where we can be filled with? Yeah. <laughs> and the third, uh, my last example for this morning is serving. Uh, serving. When we use our spiritual gifts is a place where the Spirit is active. When God has given every follower of Jesus a, 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 a Spirit-enabled ability, a gift, a, an ability to serve others and serve the church and glorify Jesus. And so when we serve in the church family and when we serve in the name of Jesus to those in our community and we use that spiritual gift, that's a place where the Spirit is active. And so we're putting ourselves in a hallway where the Holy Spirit is active. So we've been rescued 
by grace, we, we've, been, we've been made right with God. We've been brought out of sin and death because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We, we, are, we are thankful to God for all he's done. And so out of our thankfulness, we want to continue to live for him. We want to learn what it's like to walk worthy. Not only were we saved by grace, but it's his grace that continues to enable us and empower us to live for him. It's his grace that takes us out of sin, I mean, out of, yeah, out of sin and into forgiveness and out of death to life. But it's his grace also that transforms me from the inside out and empowers me, enables me to live for him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are indwelled by the Spirit. The Spirit lives within you. And yet God's word commands us to be filled. And so we don't just stand still in our Christian life, so to speak. We don't just, we're not just okay with status quo. We're not just sort of okay with doing the bare minimum. As a follower of Jesus, as a spirit-indwelled follower of Jesus, I am being made new. I'm being transformed. And so I want to put myself in places where the Spirit can fill me and change me and move me and influence me. So let's pray that God would do that in our lives. God, we do thank you that um, not only have you rescued us through Jesus, but that you empower us to live for you, that you call us to a high standard, that you call us to walk worthy, that you desire us to be uh, live lives that are righteous, and yet you don't, you don't stick us with, with that burden or responsibility on our own. God, you call us to that standard of walking worthy, of living a life to your glory, but you help us to do it. You fill us with your spirit, and you empower us to obey and to live for you. So, Father, thank you that your spirit indwells us, and now help us to obey your command to be filled. Teach us to put ourselves in hallways where the Spirit is active. God, if we don't already have some of those habits, would you spur us, would you prompt us to, to lift our voices in song, to come to you in prayer more consistently? God, if we're not already doing so, would you help us to put ourselves in the hallway where the Spirit is active by reading our Bibles? And these other things that we talked about this morning, May we put ourselves in hallways where the Holy Spirit is active so that we can be filled and transformed and so that our main influencer, that our primary influencer would be you working in our lives. Help us now as we thank you for all that you've done, as we give our gifts, as we lift our voices, as, even as we talk and encourage one another at the end of our time this morning. God, in all of those ways, help us to worship you out of thankfulness for all you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.